Good morning. I'm so glad to be in the house of the Lord with you this morning. Excited to get into his word. Uh, last week, we uh, began to open up this conversation, this, this topic of how Nehemiah, when he heard the word about his homeland, about his hometown, uh, that the gates were burned and that the walls had been destroyed, that the Lord uh, led him to go back to that city to rebuild the walls, to reestablish the gates. And we began to look at that, like, what does that mean for us in this day? And uh, it's, it's interesting because um, as Israel was going back uh, and, and starting to rebuild something that they had lost, something that was in disrepair, when they built the walls, they were restoring boundaries. We talked about last week how the walls of the city or the walls of any property are those boundaries that give it definition. This is the boundary that says this is where our land starts and where our land stops. The walls were essentially saying this is where Jerusalem is, and, and these walls gave it protection. It gave it definition to know this was going to be the city of the Lord. And not only walls, but gates. Gates were these access points. And as you watch the story, reading through the book of Nehemiah, you find that um, every tribe, every family begin to take ownership and say, we'll rebuild this gate. And another family would rise up and say, we'll rebuild this section of the wall. And as the people of God were filled, the Bible says, with a heart for the work, a desire and a strength for the work, that they began to rebuild the walls and reestablish the gates. Uh, recently, the Lord... Uh, through your generosity, allowed me to spend some time away. And uh, I went to a revival uh, in Mobile, Alabama. And as, as we were driving back, I asked Sally to take out her phone and take notes for me because I felt like the Lord was just giving me a download of these things that I know that um, these have to be the defining uh, values for the church that I want to be a part of. The things that the Lord was pressing on my heart to say, this is the people that I have called you to be. It was interesting when I went to uh, this church uh, in, in, in Mobile, Alabama, they were strange. They were unique. They did worship way different than we do worship. And then a couple weeks later, I went to St. George's Orthodox Church, and they were strange, and they were unique because it was different than the way that we do worship. And I think what the Lord was trying to press into my heart is for the church to reestablish the boundaries that give us definition and uniqueness meaning that who God has called us to be is for us. Who he has called us to be as a church, as a family, uh, is unique. And so this whole concept of seven gates, what I believe these gates represent, these are values and convictions that define and distinguish our community. Um, so often the church is trying, I think well-intentioned, trying to grow, trying to reach people, and we talked about last week how oftentimes in the attempt to try to grow and to reach people, oftentimes, like a preteen going into school, we kind of say, what do y'all like? What's cool? You tell me who to be and I'll be that. Rather than the opposite is the truth. We are not supposed to be the ones that are, are, are asking them who we should be, but we are supposed to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world that is showing them a path to a life that they could never imagine, that we could never imagine if it weren't for the divine revelation of Jesus Christ. We're not asking the world who we should be. We're asking the Lord to show the world who we are in Christ. Come and see. Come and see the way, the truth, and the life. And so um, this morning, I want to talk about the first gate. There's going to be seven gates, and as we walk through this series, we're establishing these core values, these convictions to say that if there's one thing that we want to be known for, if there's seven things that we want to be known for, these come from Scripture, but they're uniquely burning in our hearts. And so I want you to go with me now to the book of Luke. Chapter 10. Starting in verse 
38. Will you please stand in honor of reading God's word this morning? Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Let me just say those words again to you. Hear the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains eternal. You may be seated. Um, every year, going back to 1790, the President of the United States, whoever it might be that year, has stood, whether before the people or before Congress or in times uh, even by way of written letter, to give an address, to give a speech, and they call that speech the State of the Union Address. In fact, it wasn't always called that. We think that uh, that was kind of coined by uh, FDR, by Roosevelt, later, later on in the, the history of America. Whatever the case may be, now we call it the State of the Union Address. And if y'all have seen it before, it's where the president stands and gives a speech, and essentially he describes the condition of our nation. I bring it to mind because if you haven't heard yet, it's 4th of July weekend, and uh, we are so honored and privileged and blessed, blessed beyond imagination to be in a nation where we are allowed to worship freely this morning, where people have bled and died so that we can have the freedom of speech, the freedom of religion, the freedom to worship God as we have been led to worship him. And so I hope that you enjoy your 4th of July weekend. That's my little plug for your weekend. Back to the sermon. The State of the Union Address essentially letting the nation know how we're doing, or from from the president's perspective, how we're doing and what he plans to focus on. I want to consider this State of the Union Address with our gate one and with the passage that we have today. The first gate that I want to talk to you is about union. And I'll ask you, what is the state of our union? Now, the conception of our nation is that there are 50 states and couple territories or something, united under one nation, under one constitution, under one name. And when they describe how is our country doing, they're describing not a single body, but a single body that has been united by multiple states, okay? That's the end of our political discussion because that's as far as my knowledge goes. But I'll say this, I want to ask you, what is the state of your union? What is the state of your union? Now, I'm going to explain to you what I mean by union because I'm not talking about your nation or, or your, your political affiliation. I'm talking to you about the ultimate foundational definition of this word. Union is the binding of two, the two that become one. For this reason shall a man leave his uh, mother and father and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one. It's a picture of husband and wife, but it's also deeper than that. At the deepest foundation, it is a picture of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who exist eternally in Trinitarian form or in triunity. That the way in which God relates to each other is love, self-sacrificing love, self-sacrificing 
love, that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are eternally bound in love. And the good news of the gospel is this, friends. While you and I were far off from God, God the Father sent God the Son by the power of God the Spirit to come into this world, to live a perfect life, to lay that life down as a sacrifice, and that he rose from the grave. And in Christ, the Father and the Son, God divine and human flesh incarnate, were united so that this, you and I are no longer far from God, but we have been adopted and included in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit by the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I ask you, what is the state of our union? The first gate I want to talk about today is union. Union, and these gates, as I said, are, are core values. They're convictions. They're things that I, I told Sally, write this down, you know, and she's helping me and she's writing stuff down and we're kind of working this thing out. But the first thing, the first thing, if there's one thing that our church has to be known by, it has to be this concept the conviction that our obsession and our primary desire, the, the desire of our hearts and our lives is to love the Lord our God and to experience his love. Amen? Amen. I mean, I didn't make this up. It's in the Old Testament. Jesus quoted it in the New Testament. What do you say is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart with all of your mind, with all of your soul, which is all of your being, and with all of your strength. It means all of you, heart, which is the seed of desire, that you want him more than anything else. Mind, which is all of your thoughts, that everything you think and the way you perceive is ordered of the love of the Lord. The soul, which is the, 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 the totality of your being, your will, what you want, how you live, and all that you are. And then they go ahead and add on strength, which means circle all of that and do it as much as you can with all that you can. With all of your strength, all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, love the Lord your God. Friends, I want you to know that that may seem obvious, but when I look at the Christian culture today, I am not seeing a culture of people de devoted to union. Oftentimes, we are going into the church in the West or in America, this seeker-sensitive, consumeristic, materialistic church where we're actually coming into the church asking, uh, what, what's the service like? How good's the preaching? How good's the music? How's the kids' service? Essentially, is this, what can the church do for me? And when it comes to our relationship with God, it's not much different. Uh, I'm really hoping to hear a word that will explain to me how God is going to fix my problems and help. And, and all that has some place in the truth, but it's not the totality of the truth. We should not ask what, we should not ask what can our country or our church do for us, but what can we do for our country or for our church or, or for our God? Not to say that, we, that, that there's anything we could do to earn our salvation or something like that, but I'm saying this, is that our desire has to be able to love the Lord God for who he is, and if he never did another thing for me, it's enough to love him for who he is. Amen? If he never answers one more of my prayer list, which I believe he will and is able, but if he never did, he's already done enough in the incarnation in the crucifixion, in the resurrection, that I'm his, I'm sold out. I, I, he is my God and I am his child and he has my heart. So I ask you, my, my brother, my sister, not how your life is going because my life has highs and lows and not everything is always going according to plan. But what is the state of your union? Because in your union with God, the relationship you could say, how is your walk with the Lord? How's your relationship with God? How is your heart concerning the Lord? I'm just using this language. How is your union with God? And I'm going to show you that in the scriptures, this is the picture of not only the good life, it is the picture of life. So on one hand, we have Martha. Jesus tells Martha, did you see it in the story? I love, these, 
I love the scriptures because it's not painting a fairy tale far away. It's painting a day in the life of you and me. And it's a day in the life of you and me, and there's a lot going on. For Martha, it's stressful because she's got this, some, this person, this leader in the community, a rabbi, an honored guest is coming, and now she's preparing her house. And there's a lot of work that goes into preparing the house. And she's working. And she's not working because she's, you know, for, for some bad intention. She's working because her heart, she wants to serve the Lord. She wants to make space for the rabbi to feel welcome. So the house has got to be clean. The food has got to be ready. And the, everything has to be prepared. It's a lot of work. Verse 40 says, but this is how verse, uh, let, let's go back and read it again. Um, Jesus entered the village into the house of a woman named Martha. She welcomed him him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary. Listen to what Mary's doing. Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted. Say distracted. With much serving. How many of y'all know that serving is a good thing? Serving is a good thing. Serving is a great thing. A lot of times, uh, some of our early days in walking with the Lord is established because we got an opportunity to serve. I remember when I was 13 years old, my youth pastor, Zach White, his name was, he went by Cadillac Zach because he had this old Cadillac. And man, he was the coolest thing that ever come to Luling, Texas at that time. And he had spiky hair and punk rock music. And I, Cadillac Zach is the guy. And Cadillac Zach asked me, would I like to lead the youth teaching one night? 13-year-old me. Uh, I was like, uh, yeah. And I was also like, no. So this, this, this foundation that really began to deepen my relationship with the Lord was this invitation that I could serve. And that's a beautiful thing. But ultimately, if we don't keep a good perspective of the, of the state of the union, if we don't have our, our heart in proper order, sometimes serving can be a distraction. Amen. Let me go ahead and add to the list of your distractions, your job, your marriage, your children, your health, uh, your, your friendships, all of these good things, gifts that come from God, but in the wrong order, they can become distractions from the one thing. Now, all that stuff had to get done. Martha is starting to get frustrated because she feels like she's all alone and she goes to the Lord and says, um, Lord. Do you not care? Like, you see me out here sweating. You see me frustrated and flustered. I'm working hard. I'm serving. Jesus says, Martha, Martha. Jesus tells Martha that she is anxious and she is troubled about many things. Hello, does that describe our culture today? Anxious, which the Greek word means divided in mind. I'm I'm. I'm juggling, I'm spinning plates, I'm focused at many things and troubled about many things. Then he says this, but one thing is necessary. One thing is essential. Friend, I want to be a part of a congregation that reminds me in the middle of my distractions, in the middle of life's confusion and problems and all the weights. I want to be a part of a people that remind me that we are going to live our lives aimed at the one thing that is necessary. Many Christians mistakenly believe, like Martha, that whatever is urgent, it's the most important. That is, I got to stay busy. I have a lot of activities and responsibilities. And my life has many troubles and emergencies. And so, Jesus, um, can you please, I mean, you're kind and you're, you're caring. And Jesus, can you please uh, maybe take a number and get in line with the rest of my priorities? I need some prayer and devotion, but I got a lot to do today. Right? I want to worship the Lord, but I'm still kind of burdened about the, you know, I'm still kind of burdened by this uh, season of difficulty I might have been in. Um, maybe if Jesus really loves us, he'll come and sprinkle some of his magic blessings and success on what we want to do. Martha says, Jesus, I know I'm right and I know Mary's wrong, so can you help me out and kind of check my sister? Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you got it all wrong. 
You're anxious and you're troubled. Brother, sister, you got it all wrong. The troubles in your heart are not really about the troubles you're facing externally. It's about someone who was created for one thing being divided and spread out over many things that never satisfy and never bring peace or joy. He wants to call you out of that mess. Now, on the other hand, we have Mary. Jesus says to Mary that she chose the good stuff. He says, Mary has chosen the good portion. It's the picture of the Old Testament whenever um, Abraham allowed Lot to pick his land. It happens many times. What land do you want? What, 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 what side of the cookie do you want? The, and if you get first choice, you, you choose the right stuff. And he says that when Mary saw that I was coming, she chose not to pursue her service, but to sit at my feet. The good stuff, the good portion is sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to his voice. Friend, let me say it again, because I think you might have missed it. This is, this is worth the price of admission. The thing you're really looking for is the, the wondrous gift to sit at the feet of Jesus and to listen to his voice. Amen? Maybe you've been too busy for that in your life lately. And you know what? Your life is going completely nowhere without you sitting in his presence and listening to his voice. He says the good stuff is what Mary's doing. Mary has made the right decision. He commends Mary. He blesses her. Then he makes a promise. Jesus says that he will not let the good stuff be taken away from her. Did you catch that? He said, Martha, Martha. He, he addresses her problem. He says, but Mary has chosen the good portion. So he says, Mary got it right. And then he makes a promise. And, I, and different translations say it differently. It will not be taken from her. Another translation might be, I will not take it from her. Another translation will be, I will not let you take it from her. Whatever it is, I'm not going to let. The thing that Mary has chosen cannot be taken from her. Now, listen, listen, listen. What that means is that when you choose to sit at the feet of Jesus and to listen at his voice, to, to, to be deeply united in spirit, in mind, in heart, in strength, in the presence of the Lord. When you host presence and you choose that, not just on Sunday mornings, but as a daily lifestyle, that cannot be taken from you. Now, now, this kind of baffles me because you, like I know, there have been seasons or days or weeks or months where it feels like we lost it. If I asked you, what's the state of the union? You say, I don't feel close to God right now. I don't sense his presence. I don't hear his voice. I don't, I'm not really feeling it lately. My, what's the state of the union? Where's the love? I, I don't know. Maybe it was because I fell into sin. Maybe it's because I went through a tragedy. Maybe it's because I'm bitter at somebody or something. Whatever the reason is, something has weaseled its way into my heart and separated me from the love of God. Well, of course, theologically, we know what can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. And Jesus just made it plain right there. It cannot be taken away from Mary. No one can take it away from Mary. And friend, no one can take your intimacy with the Lord away from you. But you know what? You can, just like Martha, be so for whatever reason, you can rush right past it. Amen? I believe. If we look at this and if we look at our lives, the Lord never leaves us. But oftentimes, we, with many distractions, be it serving or whatever it might be, forget that the Lord is with us. Amen? I mean, Martha was in the same house with Jesus. Martha could probably overhear the same stuff that Mary was hearing. But it wasn't hitting Martha's heart the way it was hitting Mary's heart. Some of you are listening to the same sermons that a brother or sister is listening to, singing the same songs that a brother or sister is listening to. But it may not be hitting your heart the way it hits someone else's heart. And it's all about a posture of union. It's really about a posture of this. One thing have I desired. Only one thing is necessary. 
You could be troubled or anxious about all the other problems in your life, but one thing is necessary. David said it like this, one thing have I desired and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of my days, that I may gaze at his beauty and that I may inquire in his temple. Friend, what, what held King David to not only be the king of a nation, but ultimately before all that, a worshiper of God, and his story is filled with many troubles, big mistakes, but what what defined him at the end of his life and long after his life is that David was a man after God's own heart because David said, one thing have I desired. The state of the union between your heart and God is not a reflection of his desire nor his ability to be united to you. He's here, he's ready and waiting. Oftentimes, it's more a posture of our heart, it's decisions that we make, or it's falsehoods that we believe that are trying to separate us from the love of God in Christ. Y'all remember this one, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Amen? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. See, oftentimes the church calendar or the church events or the church uh, strategies can be so filled with other stuff that's good stuff. Good missionary uh, opportunities, good, good fellowship opportunities, and we should do those things. But friend, if we don't have a culture of people that say, as for me, I'm a part of this church because when we get together in the presence of God, we go after him with all of our hearts and all of our minds and all of our soul and all of our strength. We host presence as a mission, as the first part of our mission is that we want to be the people that encounter and meet with God. Amen? Because you can feed the hungry. And you can build up houses for people that need, you can do a lot of good things. But the Bible says that at the end of all times, when we stand before the king, we could have done a lot of good stuff. But if we never knew him, the king will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. We need to have a married perspective here. You have a calling on your life. That's true. You have giftings and you have purposes and you have stuff you need to be accomplishing and all that. That's, that's great. And you have problems that are weighing you down and you have things you're trying to work through in your life. And I understand that. But friend, you need a people around you that are not going to encourage you to make those the primary focus, but you need a people of brothers and sisters that say, I hear you, I feel you, I'm with you, but where is the Lord? in the midst of your situation. That no matter how bad it may get or how good it may get, because blessing can be a trap also. People will turn their attention away from the Lord, but we must turn each other back to the one thing. Where's your heart with the Lord? I know you've been real busy lately, and that's great, and I'm sorry you've been going through so much trials lately, but where's your heart with the Lord? What is the one thing? The one thing is, is union. It's the love of God, but love of God, I, I could just, we could just call it the gate is love, and that means so much to so many that I think we sometimes lose what that means. The perfect picture of love, the divine love, is how we have been made one with God, <laughs> that we have been united. There is a connection, a oneness, a nearness, a desire. Our heart's singular devotion is to be close to the Lord, and he desires, get this, God desires you to be close to him. Colossians 3, verse 3 through 4. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Listen to the word of the Lord. You have died. Now, that's a hard pill to swallow, but if you've been born again, you know what that means? My life is not my own. Everything I was, all that I was chasing after, my desires, my, my personality, everything that I was has died. 
And now my life is hidden with Christ in God. We're going to get to this in a little bit, but I have been included in Christ because his humanity has been wrapped in divinity and divinity wrapped in humanity. So somehow reflective of our human nature, I'm well represented in the throne room of God because Jesus is fully God and fully man. So, so in Christ, I am hidden in Christ with Christ in God. John 15, 5, y'all got to know this one, right? I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This is why union is so essential because you and I get, get so wrapped up and what we must do or what we're going through and, and what's happening in our life. Friend, friend, you're chasing after the wind if you're trying to do anything apart from your union with God. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide in me and I'll abide in you. You dwell in me and I'll dwell in you. If, if we live together in union, then when I walk in the spirit, God is in me and I'm in God. And as I walk and live in that reality, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But when I live in my life worried and burdened and troubled outside of time with God, outside of a prayer life, outside of a one thing lifestyle and perspective, suddenly I can do nothing without him. This concept of in Christ uh, is all throughout Ephesians. Paul describes that our union with him is how we have been found in Christ. It's really the picture of the husband and wife, how the two become one. They mingle not only in flesh, but also in soul. And for the daughters and sons of the living God, when we come into the presence of God, when we live in relationship to God, it's no longer a separation from, from where you stop and where God starts. God abides in you and you abide in God and the two have become one. It's true, Jesus loves me, this I know, but this takes it to a deeper level. Yeah, God loves me. God loves me so much that he laid down his life so that I could receive his life. And we have made this glorious transaction where now he is in me and I am in him. This verse is, is so significant to me. John 17, 23 paints it this way. Jesus is praying. Jesus is praying to the Father in John 17, and he makes a declaration over not only the disciples, but those who will believe because of their testimony, and that includes you and me, the, all the disciples, all the church, the universal church that will come. John 17, 23 says this, I in them and you in me, that they may be, become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. This union we have with God is only possible. Listen, friend, the union that you have with God is only possible if you believe this crazy, crazy reality. God the Father loves you as much as he loves his perfect son, Jesus Christ. Let me just say that again, because maybe I felt some pushback on there. Jesus, you know, perfect life, sacrificial death, walked on the water. That Jesus, and then you and your life, every decision, every thought, every flaw and failure. The Bible says that the Father loves us as much as he loves his own perfect, righteous son. And until you believe that, you'll never really be that close. You know, it's, it's, it's really hard to stay close to someone who you think doesn't like you. That marriage is going to be a rough one where it's like, hey, we got a union, but I know I'm not good enough for you. And I know like, you're, you're, I'll never be good enough for you. And, and, and you don't really want me anyways, but uh, somehow, you know, kind of you signed the paper. So I guess we're married. That union is not going to be very strong, is it? But in our relationship with God, more often than not, we are considering that, like, I don't know if he's really all in on this, but I guess he has to because he's God, but I know he's disappointed, right? No, 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 no. He loves you with the same love that he has for his perfect son. 
And once you receive that love, you'll be able to love other people. You know why people are mean? You know why people are hard to love and not very lovely? Ultimately, because in the flesh, we cannot love the way God loves. It's not, the, the, the strange thing is not that people are mean and ugly and don't know how to love. That's just human nature apart from Christ. The great miracle is when you encounter people who love like God loves. And it's a witness that God is real, that Jesus is his son and he did live a perfect life and he did die on the cross. It is a witness that everything in the gospel is true, that the love of God that unites our hearts to his is so powerful that suddenly we can unite and connect to other people with the love that's real, not forced, not fake, not phony, a true, genuine love that I love you not because of what you can do for me or because of how you've always been good to me. I love you because he loves me so much that the love is overflowing. So what's the state of your union? More often, we're, we're trying to diagnose problems in our life, and I can tell you, it's the one thing. It's not the many things. It's the one thing. More often than not, there are distractions and lesser desires, and we're multitasking. Ultimately, the Bible says that we can only have one master. You cannot have two masters. You'll either love the one or hate the other. You'll despise the one. You can't have two masters. Um, And all these other things that we pursue can quickly become Lord of our lives if we don't keep the one thing in order. I said it this morning in our table talks. I'll say it again. Jesus spoke to the church at Ephesus and said, I have heard of your works and your good deeds. I have seen that you are you're doing the good work and you're practicing the truth. He says, I see that you don't tolerate heresy and you have not tolerated the Nicolaitans. You believe the right stuff and you're doing the right stuff. But this one thing I have against you, you have forgotten your first love. He tells the church at Ephesus, you should Turn and do the things you did at first, or I will come and remove my lampstand from your presence. If we are not a church built on the one thing, we could be believing the right stuff and doing the right stuff, but the presence of God could be gone. Amen? So just a couple of encouragements, and then I'll move along. So what should we do or not do because of this value? If, if union is a value, and if it's the first gate we're talking about, it means that when you come to be a part of this community and this family, we are going to priorities, prioritize union above all else. Prior, what does that look like? First of all, we are creating a new culture of worship in this church. The way in which we sing songs And the way in which we take of the Lord's Supper, the way in which we commune with with the Lord in the presence of God has to change. We have to go deeper and deeper and deeper into the revelation that this is not a country club. This is not a social gathering. This is not a, a TED talk for you to get some good nuggets. This is where you as a human come into the presence of God, the divine triune Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we are communing with God. In the presence of the Lord, bodies can be healed. In the presence of Lord, addictions can be broken. In the presence of the Lord, demonic forces have to flee. In the presence of the Lord, people who are lost can find the truth of the gospel and be born again. This is not just Sunday morning as usual, friend. When union becomes the burden of our hearts, we start to treat worship like it's not just part of our weekly schedule. It's where we meet with God. Now, I know you can meet with God anywhere, and I know God's with you in your prayer closet. and That's all good, but there's something special about the corporate worship service of the body of Christ. Friend, if you're serving as a volunteer and you're like, ah, worship, I could take it or leave it. Stop serving. Amen? If you come to church at Faith Memorial because there's some people that you like to hang out with, 
Hey, you, you got to be careful to make sure you don't become someone who's distracted by everything else, but you're not chasing after the one thing. Friend, I, I, I made this promise to the Lord a long time ago. I will not let the church ruin my relationship with God. Amen? And neither will I let my marriage, nor my children, nor my family, nor my... I, th those things all have their place, and I revere and honor them to the best of my ability. But one thing have I desired. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things, they'll fall into place. Don't settle for life without union. Don't settle for a Christianity without union. What do I mean by that? The, the theoretical belief that there is a God and Jesus is his son, and because he died on the cross, my sins are forgiven, so I will not go to hell. You could state those things and check that box, but if it doesn't capture your heart, if your heart is not constantly being moved to tears or to laughter or to overwhelming response with the knowledge that God loves me beyond my wildest imaginations. Your prayer list will change from all the stuff you want God to do for you or all the stuff you want to God, I just want more of you. Amen? I think a lot of times, well-intentioned, we as the church tell the world, come to God and see all that he can do for you. I came to God and he helped me kick my addiction to this, that, and the other. Come to God and, man, he made me a better person and I'm not as, you know, angry anymore. Come to God. He saved my marriage and he saved my kids. Come to God. He can even heal bodies. I mean, it's real. He, he's a healer. And, and those things are all good. But friend, that's not, that's not what we're trying to win people to. I was reminded recently, right, Sally, that, that what you win people with is what you win them to. And if what you've won them with is some type of a bait and switch, a lure and a hook to say, hey, he'll do all this stuff for you. Oh yeah, except you have to give him your whole life. Don't, 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 don't trick people by offering the blessings of God. Offer people God. Amen? Amen? And if that's not the desire of your heart, then let it be what it is. I'm willing to give him my life because he has given me his life. So we're going to prioritize worship. We're going to evaluate our hearts. I hope that we'll call each other out when we make... We begin to see clearly that in your lifestyle, you believe Jesus Christ is the son of God, but you have become distracted with many things. And friend, it's only a loving brother or sister who can tell you, hey, I know life is a lot, but Christ is the one thing. We're going to have to learn to say no to many things. We get opportunities to do so much as a church, and you get opportunities to do so much as a Christian, but you have to say no. I'm going to say no to a lot of things, not because they're not good things, but because I will make sure that my time sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to his voice is not being encumbered and transgressed by all the other many things. Amen? Because really, if you lose your abiding in him, you can do nothing. So how will this gate be evident here? How are we going to see union in the church? We are going to host presence. We're going to go deeper and deeper and deeper into the presence of the Lord in our worship services. Our worship services are going to be spirit-led. We say that phrase, but we barely know what that means. But we're pressing into that to say, God, if we're going to encounter your presence, I don't care what, what denominational affiliation we have, we are a spirit-led church full of power and holy awe and wonder. If you want church without the presence of God, I hope it's not possible here. That if you come into this place, the presence is so thick, so tangible. The kabod, the glory of God is so heavy. The weight of God is so present. That the spirit of the Lord is here. Amen? I'm okay with our technology, our ministries, everything else uh, growing little by little. One thing is most important is that the presence of the Lord is here. Amen. Worship music is not aimed at preparing us to hear teaching. That's what I heard growing up. Well, the part of the service is the music is there because it gets our hearts ready to hear the word. 
Well, that came from Charles Finney in the 1800s. It didn't come from the scriptures. It came from revivalists trying to work people into a frothy frenzy so that they would make a decision for the Lord. And I'm sure God used that, but the scripture teaches something else. Worship music is not aimed at preparing you to receive information by the sermon. Worship is aimed at uniting your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Worship is aimed at union. Teaching is not so that you will live a better life and go, you know, behave differently. Those things will happen. But it's ultimately, I'm teaching you something so that the light bulb will go off and you'll know something more about God, more about who you are, more about what the scripture teaches, so that union could, can go deeper and deeper and deeper. And when the two become one, you live like Christ, Christ lives in you. All these things are going to have the added benefits that we've been chasing, but ultimately it comes from the one thing. So I'll close out with this. My last page, I promise. Jesus told the parable, and he said, there was a man who had two sons. There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. So the father divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing, so hungry was he that he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one would give him anything. But then he came to himself. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread to eat? but I'm going to die here of hunger, I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer to be worthy to be called your son. Just treat me like one of your hired servants. So he rose up and he came to his father. And but while he was still a long way off, say a long way. His father saw him. And he felt compassion and he ran and embraced his son and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father interrupted. He said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and put shoes on his feet. Bring the fattest calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead. And is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they begin to celebrate. Friends, this is the gospel. From the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, when humanity was far from God, God came running to us. Union. Union means that I'm no longer alone. Union means that I'm no longer cut off from God. The younger son was still a long way off. And if we're going to preach a gospel and live a gospel here, it's going to be about how God desperately desires. Do you hear the story? I mean, I heard you've heard it preached many times, maybe. But the son is working on his speech. Dad, okay, I sinned against heaven and you, and please, I'm not worthy to be your son. Just let me be one of the servants. And son's like, and the father's like, shh, 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 stop that. I've been, I've been waiting and watching over the horizon for your feet to come walking down that road. Friend, you're not coming closer to me. I've been desperately longing to be close to you. Scripture says that he embraced him, that he kissed him, that he put a ring over his hand, that he put new 
robe on his back. Here's the gospel, friend, that while we were far away, while we were still sinners, God proved his love for us in this, that Christ died for us. Amen? I don't know what you're up against in your life right now. Listen to me. The one thing is essential. One thing is essential. The union, your heart to God, is the answer to everything else. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters. Let this be a gate and a signpost that we want to be the people who host presence. We want to be the people... Yeah, it's not simply that we know that you love us and we love you, but we have become one with you. There's a love that goes deeper than words. There's a love that washes away all of my sin and my regret and my shame. It just disappears in the arms of your love. There's a love that's so powerful that when you are in me and I am in you, that I begin to bear fruit and people can't see the difference between me and my father. Lord, I pray over my brothers and sisters in this house right now who just have the mindset of Martha. They're living and they're going and they're doing and they're distracted. They may be distracted with serving. They may be distracted with marriage or children or they may be distracted by worldly pleasures. They may be distracted by past situations that are causing them pain or bitterness or anger. But whatever it is, Lord, those distractions are keeping us from focusing on what is the good stuff. The good stuff is to sit at your feet. The good stuff is to listen to your voice. You promised that Mary had picked the good stuff, the good portion, and that it would not be taken from her. Lord, I pray that we would make this commitment that if we sit at your feet in the morning, if we dwell in your presence and abide daily, walking in the spirit, praying and fasting and singing and all that we do just to build our union with you, Lord. Remind us that that can't be taken away from us. They can take my house. They can take my car. They could take my, I could lose loved ones. I could lose health. I could lose my own life in the natural, but one thing they can never take away from me, that God in Christ has rescued and ransomed me. I was once far off and he brought me back into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we are united in an unspeakable love. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen.